Hey, good morning. Happy Halloween. Um, yeah, it's that kind of day, right? Hey, Halloween. Hmm. Got the kids. They're... Well, I'm wandering away from the microphone. They're, uh, you know, they got some stuff going. Um, Gabby's got a couple parties and stuff. Josh is going to go hang out with Grandma. It'll be good. It'll be fun. We have more housework. <laughs> the flooring project that never ends. It's, it's, it's fine, you know. If a flooring project does not destroy your marriage, you're doing good. You're doing good. So we're, we're good. We're good. So good morning. Hope everybody's doing great. Um, it is Halloween. And so I, I know people are going to want to start getting things ready, do any of the last minute uh, preparations that they have to do. There's all sorts of stuff going on, even if you're not doing anything. Because, I mean, let's, let's admit it. It is pandemic Halloween. Who knows? Who knows what everybody's going to do, what you want to do. I don't know what it is that you want to do or going to do. So I, I want to give you some some leeway and a little extra time if you need it. So uh, we're just going to kind of hop into this. Oh, the mouse is being laggy here. Here we go. So I'm going to kind of just jump into it and, and we'll just get started and, and see what happens. Uh, shouldn't have any more of the internet problems. was able to get kind of a, a docking station bit for the machine, for the laptop. So... It should be good. So here we go. We're on Nehemiah. This is study number six. We're going through chapter six and even the first four verses of chapter seven. Because chapter seven um, is a bit of a long chapter, for one. And for two, uh, the, the first four verses really kind of wrap up the, the sixth chapter. They really kind of belong almost with that sixth chapter. And then the rest of chapter seven is a, is a totally different section. So we're just going to go with this. Uh, but we are studying, like I said, six, chapter six and the beginning of chapter seven. And this is the enemy within. And also the wall is finished. So they finally complete the wall. And we say finally, but that's kind of laughable when you realize uh, what, what we'll study and what, what we'll find out today. So here, let's get going into this. Going again through the ESV. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirium in the plain of Ono. But they indeed excuse me, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. 
For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now when I now when I went to, into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Metatabel, now I know I'm butchering these, sorry, but it's fun, uh, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had been, excuse me, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. So they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophets, excuse me, the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in the 50th, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jehon <laughs> Jehohanah had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, and as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brethren, excuse me, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and a God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Yeah, it's a little bit of a section, right? And of course, what's a bit of a section without having some, uh, without having some, some names and stuff that is humorous for me to try to, uh, pronounce. <laughs> so this breaks into three basic subsections. First, we see verses one to nine, we get the messenger attacks. Then we get verses 10 to 14, the enemy within, and then verses 15, all the way through chapter seven, verse four, the wall is finished. So let's, let's break this down and look at this. Okay. Verses one and two. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I built the wall, 
and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshub sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hecatherium in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Okay, so when the enemy is discovering, right, that they're mocking him and mocking the Jews didn't work, right? Remember back in chapter four, verses one through three, when they were mocking them, well, what are they doing? If a goat gets on the wall, it's going to collapse and fall down, right? Okay. Uh, when they realized that didn't work, and now the wall is to the point where an actual frontal attack would completely fail, they couldn't breach the wall now, they turned to deceit and into espionage right? They change their tactics. They still don't want this to happen. They still don't want to have issues because it makes their life harder, right? So they're trying to make things a little harder and a little bit more difficult for them. And they're still trying to stop the progress and stop the Jews from becoming what it is that they're becoming, okay? So they're they're doing a different approach to what they're reaching out for, right? Now, the location has long been lost with this, uh, Hecatherium in the plain of Ono. Uh, but it is believed to be near the town of Ono, uh, which is north of Jerusalem. And, and there's a little bit of reference to that in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 2, verse 33. You can look that up. I don't have it in the notes here. I just, uh, there wasn't enough of it to, to make it worthwhile for me to read it today for you. But if you like, there's the, there's the note there. You can go and take a look at that. Now, Nehemiah did know in this section, we can we can clearly see this, that Nehemiah knew from their early attempts, okay, their earlier attempts, that Sanballat had ill intentions towards him, right? He had already said, man, we, we can come in at night. They were threatening nightly attacks, coming in at night and killing people and doing all this stuff. They'd do, done all these things. So Nehemiah basically just already had the uh, awareness to assume and believe that uh, they're coming and this is this meeting uh, this is not a good meeting. This is this is a dangerous, this is a bad meeting. It is not wise to go and do this meeting, right? We see in verse three, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? See, Nehemiah was a, a leader who led by charge, right? He was there and he was leading and he was working alongside and doing things with them. And so if he left, uh, there's a great potential that the work on the wall itself would actually just stop. And that wouldn't do anybody any good. And he's announcing that saying, why, why would I do this? Why would I leave and make the work stop? This makes no sense, which is really kind of a, a, a nice political way uh, for him to just say, no, thanks. No, thanks. I'm on to you. No, thank you. We're, we're good. Right. Then we see in verses four to nine, okay, the rest of this section, right? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them the same manner, okay? They sent four times to them. And it was the same way every time that he responded, okay? In the same way, Sam Ballot for the fifth time. So Sam Ballot doubles down, goes for a fifth, sent a servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now this open letter... This is a messenger coming out with literally an open letter in hand, very public, trying to frighten those in the city, trying to discourage them openly. So they're no longer just trying to get to Nehemiah. Now they're trying to get to those around Nehemiah to discourage 
him for them, right? So this is kind of a, a big deal, right? This is kind of a big deal. In this letter, it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it also, okay? So we saw earlier in this, in verse one, uh, Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and we saw Geshem back in, I think it was chapter, wasn't that chapter three? Um, so there, we've seen this guy already. These are the main partakers of this. So he's saying, saying around the nations, Geshem's also saying this, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king, which wasn't true, right? As Nehemiah had no intentions. In fact, Nehemiah had permission from the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, to come in and actually to build this. He already had permission. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us counsel together. See, it's not true. And so they're, he's trying to bring up the points that got, that they brought up earlier, right? That made Artaxerxes force them to stop the rebuilding and put the kibosh and the full end on the rebuilding process and tell Artaxerxes said it was okay. Well, now Artaxerxes has said it's okay because someone he trusts, Nehemiah, is going out to do the process, right? So it's, it is a trust thing. And so they're questioning that trust and they're saying, we're going to, it's, it's going to, come down on you. This is going to come back and it's not going to be good. Okay. So we have that and that's what's going. Then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you have said has been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. He's flat out calling them out saying, you're making this up. You don't have to, you're, you're lying. And I know you're lying. Nothing of what you're saying is true. You're just making this up. Okay. And then he just writes down here for us. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Okay, so Nehemiah calls them a direct lie, calls them out on it, says they're trying to slow down the work. And then Nehemiah does what Nehemiah does. He asks God for help and blessing and strength to get through the process and help him go through this. Hey, good morning there on, on Facebook. And uh, on YouTube, yeah, hi. So, um, yeah, then we move on into verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Medadabel, who was confined to his home. Okay, first of all, let's stop right there for a second. Shemaiah was most likely a priest. Although this is pretty well the only place that there's any note about him. So he wasn't like a, a main priest. He wasn't a high-ranking official or anything, but he was most likely a, a priest. But this is the only place that he is mentioned. Uh, and it's also unknown as to why he was confined to his home. But he was in a position to go to the temple. So it wasn't just a, a solid house arrest. It wasn't something like that. Most likely what was going on with him was, as a priest, he was symbolically in prayer and symbolically locking himself in his house as the people were locked and gated into the city, asking God for, for help. Because it's a really common thing in that culture to be very open and, and visual about the sort of things that you're praying about, right? We, Jesus talked a lot about not being like the Pharisees and doing everything out in the open, right? This is what it was, except for 
literally locking yourself in, but as an outward sign of what you're doing, right? It was a very outward representation of what you're praying against, okay, or what you're praying for. So he was doing a symbolic act concerning the town uh, being surrounded by the enemies and being confined to the city. So he was most likely in a very deep prayer state, okay? Now, but then he says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now, the house of God was a certain portion inside of the temple, okay? This was an area that only the priests could enter. Only the priests could enter. It was sinful and unlawful for Nehemiah to be there. See, it was lawful for someone to seek sanctuary basically up out by the altar area, which was still inside, but you couldn't go into the actual house of God, into that portion of the temple. That is the area where it's completely unlawful for you to go. And it was a, a call to make him sin. And then we see 11 to 14. But I said, should such a man as I run away? Now, this is this is talks a lot about Nehemiah and, and how clever he is and how wise he is with what he's with he, what he's discussing here okay is should such a man as i run away so he's saying i am here as a leader i am here in charge i am here giving the example of what to do should somebody who's a leader in charge should i be running away okay he's saying i have to be brave to lead and I need to respond accordingly. I can't just run away. But then he flips the coin. And what man such as I, so should such a man as I, I'm boasting up, but then what man such as I, taking that back down to reality, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Because he was not one of the priests He's not allowed into that portion of the temple and he knows it and he recognizes this is a sin. I'm here not only trying to rebuild the, the wall, the city and the people, but we're trying to rebuild and bring people back to God and back to the reality of this is how we're supposed to live and living rightly so that God comes back and fully blesses, right? He's, he's trying to rebuild and bring things back into the bright and proper order. And he knows he needs to do this the right way. And so he's saying, as a leader, I can't I can't run away. I'm not running away. This is crazy. Why would I do that? But not only that, I'm not the right type of person to go into that section. I physically can't be there. It's sinful for me to go there. And we're if we're going to do this, we need to do it right. I'm not going to go in sin. And then verse 12, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Okay, he recognizes that this is now an internal plot. There is now a plot that people from, that Sanballat and Tobiah are now working through people who are already inside and under some sort of political influence and religious influence, they're working from the inside. They now have inside men and women working with this. And I can say women because we're going to see that. You see that here in the scripture. Okay. Verse 13. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Now, a bad name, you know, names mean a lot in that culture, right? Names mean a lot. And so if you lose honor, you're losing credibility. He's there as a leader. If he loses credibility, 
his whole, we need to do things the right way and bring, go back to God, lost, completely lost if he goes and turns around and open face sins. Okay, he can't do that. And he recognizes he can't do that. Okay, so that's what's going on here. God blessed him with discernment and wisdom to see that he was not sent from God, but also, but he was actually sent by the enemy. Okay, trying to make it to where the people would stop believing in Nehemiah and would stop working on the wall or stop trying to rebuild themselves as an actual nation. Okay, then we see in verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things for what they did, right? Remember them for what they did. And also the prophetess, female, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So he's saying, and we have a direct indication here, there were men and women. There were men and women who were working against. These were Jewish people in the town that's being rebuilt trying to rehonor God and they're working against the rebuilding process saying no we can't do this this is bad okay but why were they doing this well we actually see some of that here with the wall is finished okay we get a little bit of a, a taste as to why they're doing this now we have to understand a little bit of the culture honor and integrity are basically everything in this culture Okay, and you get back in, into this realm of the world, this part of the world, and honor is huge and family ties are huge. And so if you have a family tie, you are tied and bound to them and you have to maintain the honor within the family, okay, so that you don't ruin the name. Because if you ruin your name, it goes all, it goes back in generations, your whole family line looks bad and it goes forward in generations. Your kids and your children's children and your children's children's children can look bad depending on what it is. Okay, so you have to work really, really hard to maintain that honor, to maintain that family name, okay? Let's take a look here. So verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in the 50, in 52 days. Wow. In the, I did it again in 52 days. Okay. So Elul is the sixth month. It's what we would consider August and September. Okay. August, September area. Right. And there was a famine. Remember there was a famine. Remember last week they were having that famine because they were busy working on the wall during the main farming months. In some massive farming months, they're working on the wall instead of working on the farms. And so there's not the food being produced. But rec recognize this. This is less than six months. This is less than six months since Nehemiah spoke to Artaxerxes about the project. Think about that time frame. When we think of, we're going to go and rebuild a wall. I mean, for crying out loud, they can't even repair a mile of roadway in six months around here. These guys went over and said, hey, we want to do this. We want permission and we want all this stuff. So they went and got all the material, traveled, got there, built the people up to do it and got to work and got it done. And it was six months, less than six months to, from beginning. Like this is the concept, what we're going to do. Boom, done. They were in it. Verse 16, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. 
for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So the speed of the project no doubt intensified the fear of the surrounding nations, right? This is intensifying their concern and their fear because this is crazy. No one builds a wall around a city or rebuilds because remember, they burnt it. That type of stone, it decomposes essentially and falls apart. It's not usable. So they had to pull rubble out and rebuild. And they did it in less than six months. So the speed is terrifying. They're not worried about feeding themselves, working the farms. They're not worried about all this stuff. They're just building the wall and they got it done really fast. It's crazy. Now, if they can complete such a task that quickly, Judah could become a great nation again and be a threat to them. This just kind of helps us realize this is why Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem were trying so hard, so, so hard to get this to stop, right? Because they're showing their strength. God is empowering them. There is a great strength in this and moving forward, this is intense. These guys mean business. This could be very, very bad for us. 17 to 19. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. Here's that hint I was talking about. In those days, many nobles from Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them. For in Judah were bound, for many in Judah were bound by an oath to him because he was the son-in-law. Okay, he was a son-in-law. And his son had taken the daughter, and I'm not saying the names because I've already made fun of myself enough today. <laughs> and his son had taken the daughter as well. Okay, he had taken a daughter as well. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. They were spying. They were saying nothing but good things about Tobiah. And they were hearing what Nehemiah was saying and they were sending word back. They were spying on Nehemiah for Tobiah. So Tobiah and his son had both taken Jewish wives. Tobiah had been sending letters trying to internally increase his name, Tobiah's name, and potentially even decrease the name of Nehemiah to help spread rumors, start finding ways to make things look bad, not work internally, right? To cause that loyalty divide. Well, who are you going to be loyal to? You're going to be loyal to, to Nehemiah, this person who's come from outside the city to rebuild the city? You're going to be loyal to me. I've been here. I married your daughter. My son's married into you. We're family. Are you going to be loyal to family like we're supposed to be? Or are you going to be loyal to this guy who's come in, who's, who's trying to get you all killed because he's trying to become king, remember? And uh, the Persians already, you know, the Persians wiped out who wiped you guys out. You don't think they can wipe you out? Oh, they're going to do it. Man, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. Okay, so this, the nobles then are speaking well of Tobiah to Nehemiah, trying to change his mind. Trying to maintain their honor with their arrangements with Tobiah. And thus potentially causing this internal divide by creating a situation where only some could actually be trusted by Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah, again, it's very clear. Nehemiah is, has shown great wisdom, great discernment, and God has been speaking through him and helping him see who's speaking from God and doing good things and who's not. 
Okay, he's he's got a pretty good finger on the pulse here. He's got a good understanding of what's happening and what's going on. Okay, and it just shows. And then we get into the beginning of chapter seven, verse one. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors, because remember earlier saying it was finished, but I hadn't set the doors yet. Now he set the doors. The doors are set and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Okay, so once the wall was completely finished and the doors were set, Nehemiah sets the next precedence. What is the next precedence? We have a wall. Well, the next precedence is worship, right? Well, one protection and worship. So the Levites were assistants to the priests, if you go back into Numbers, and were to guard and clean the temple. Okay, so we look back at Numbers. I know we haven't been pulling many other verses for this because uh, this, this, part, this part of this doesn't need a lot of it. It's kind of self-explanatory, right? But we go into, uh, if, if you take the time to, to look into it and read the history and get into the history and stuff, it's, it's fairly self-explanatory. But uh, let's look at, at Numbers chapter 18, verses 1 and 4. And the Lord said to Aaron, you, your sons, and your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when you and your sons minister before the tent of the covenant law. They are to be responsible to you and are to perform all the duties of the tent, but they must not go near the furnishings of the sanctuary or the altar. Otherwise, both they and you will die. They are to join you and be responsible for the care of the tent of meeting, all the work at the tent, and no one else may come near where you are. Okay, so the Levites are responsible for maintaining the upkeep of the tent. That's their responsibility, right? They, that, that is what's going on. And so Nehemiah is calling, calling back to the old law and saying, look, if we're going to go back and do it God's way, we need to go back and do it God's way. This is a pretty logical conclusion, right? So he's going back and saying, let's do it. And so he pulls the Levites and he gets them set up to go do what they're supposed to do. He gets the gatekeepers to watch the gates, right? He gets the singers and he gets the Levites to start taking care of the actual temple, okay? Then, once he goes from the, the worship, then he moves back to the city gates and says, what are we going to do about protection? And we see in verse two, I gave my brother Hanan Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many, because we've already seen Nehemiah is aware because of Tobiah's marriage relationships and his son's marriage relationships, he has an in with a lot of people. And these people are making it a very clear that they are choosing family tradition and the honor code of the area and that culture over God. They're going against God and God's plans trying to maintain that honor so that their family's respected, which, I mean, it, it makes sense. It kind of, it's one of those things that you can kind of understand, but it still is a total bummer, right? It's not a good thing, okay? So the walls are rebuilt. The city needs leaders for security. Nehemiah appoints his brother because he knows he can trust him, okay? 
This is the one who originally brought word back to Nehemiah. We saw that in chapter one, verse two. Okay, and the governor of the castle, Hananiah, because he had proven himself to be more God-fearing, faithful, and most likely loyal than many of the other officials. Okay, this guy is there doing what's supposed to be done. Nehemiah knows he can trust him. So he uses him and says, you're appointed. Okay, putting you in charge of security. These two are basically in charge of security, making sure that everyone stays safe because we got to be able to worship. We got to go get back to God. So let's get back to God and worship. Priority number one. Okay, priority number one. Now that the wall is rebuilt, worship. Priority number two, keep people safe. And to do that, we need people who can take this over and take charge of this. So it points the two people and they go, okay? So when Nehemiah knew he needed people who could be in charge that uh, wouldn't give Tobiah the leverage to get into the city to cause more issues. Now, verse three, and I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. Okay, hang on. Gates usually open at sunrise. You want people to be able to go out to their farms, to go work the fields, go do everything else that's outside of the city limits, outside of the gates. It's farmland and all that's outside of the gates, okay? And if they're going to do trade and commerce, they have to let the merchants in. They have to let the merchants out. They have to be able to do that stuff. That stuff opens at dawn. But there's always a concern, especially when you're being threatened of war and nighttime attacks, something happening when the gates open at dawn. It's still hard to see can't see everything clearly, there's an increased risk of attack. So, he says, don't open them then. Wait until the sun's up. Wait until it's up high and it's hot. It's already getting hot. Okay? Wait until it's already getting hot so we prevent the issue of that kind of an attack. Okay? And while they are still standing guard, oh, so the guards who open the gates... While they're still standing guard, all right, let them shut and bar the doors. So not only open the gates way late, close them considerably early. Got it. Okay, so no no dawn attack, no dusk attack. Got it. One set of guards. So we're not even going to have issues with a changing of the guards in the middle of the day. Got, got it. Okay. All right. All right. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Ah, okay. So get people who already live here because this is home and they want to make sure home stays home. I like this. This is good. Okay. Some at their guard posts. Okay. And some in front of their own homes. Hmm. All right. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. Okay. So you have some internal conflict going on. This, these enemies from outside, Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, Geshem, they're, they're sending in letters and trying to cause problems internally. And so Nehemiah knows, not only do we need to worry about the gate being open and closed at a certain time, we need to make sure that we have guards throughout the city. We need to make sure that the guards are being protected too so that people aren't going in and threatening their families and holding families and causing problems that way so that the guards now allow for other things to happen. 
This is a crazy situation. Nehemiah is taking a, basically abs what we would consider as absurd steps at security, but he needs it. You need to do that kind of absurd step to at security at that point. Things are that bad, and he's trying very hard to make sure that they get things back the way they need to be. All right. So, all right, verse four, last one, okay? The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses have been rebuilt, right? So although it's been 90 years, 90, almost 100 years, almost a full century since people were able to come back under Zerubbabel, okay, the city was still underpopulated for its size. And with so much focus on rebuilding of the temple with Ezra, the wall with Nehemiah, and then both of them kind of going back and forth with the people and getting people back into God, right? Get back to how it was supposed to be. Large portions of the city had not actually been rebuilt. They hadn't rebuilt much of the city yet. It was more about build the temple so we can worship. Because that's phase one, okay? There's no point in rebuilding a city if we're not gonna have God in it. So they rebuild the temple. God has them rebuild the temple. Now that we got a temple, we need to rebuild the wall because if we don't, they're just going to come through and wipe everything out. Rebuild the wall, okay? Now there's just not a lot of houses and they're still, even though they've been able to get people back, not as many as they should, okay? So they're still underpopulated for their size. And even with the underpopulation, houses haven't been rebuilt. People are still living in the streets and causing problems, living in tents, living in whatever they can because it's, it's harsh. It's hard times. Okay, so what's the gospel look like in this? What, what do we take from this? Okay, first of all, we see Sam Ballot's words about the coming king were actually more right than he knew. Okay, more right than he knew, but he was wrong on who? Okay, he was wrong on the who. We see an, an example, another example of someone who spoke words that were more right than they knew as well. And we see this in the gospel of John, John 11. Uh, but one of them, <clears throat> man, whew. one of them, Cephas, who was a high priest that year said to them, you know, nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not on, not for, excuse me, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Okay. So Sam Ballot had kind of a, a, a right idea on this, but he was trying to make it in a mocking way and trying to make it as a, a slanderous thing, but it was something coming down the line. Okay. We also see that fear is one of the enemy's greatest weapons. And we are not to fear, but we are to believe. In fact, we see that in Mark 5, 36. But overwhelmingly, what they said, Jesus... <clears throat> but overhearing... Let me get this right. Wow, I'm having a fun morning. Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. We also see in Romans 5, 9 to 10, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him 
from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Okay, so what can we take away from this? Take away a few things. First of all, sometimes the enemy attacks us in ways of subtle messages and not straight on attacks. They might try to slow us down. They might try to discourage us. It might even try to get us to outright just stop what we're doing. Stop doing what it is that God's calling us to do with these subtle messages, okay? It happens. It happens a lot. Don't listen. Don't listen to the enemy's lies and their attempts to distract you. Focus on the Lord. Focus on God. Focus on Jesus. Focus on the call that he has for you, doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Do it right. Do it the right way. Okay? There's a right way for a reason. And sometimes the enemy pretends to be on your side. Okay? He pretends to be on our side and part of the body of Christ. We see this happen more often than we'd like to admit, right? Sometimes that enemy infiltrates, okay? Using people that you wouldn't think would be being used, right? Trust the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Use wisdom and discernment and know your scripture, okay? Know your scripture. So that when someone tells you, you shouldn't be doing this, this is a bad idea, you know, it makes more sense to go this way instead of that way. No, God's calling me to this. And, and God's calling me in a way that this, this, doesn't, this doesn't contradict God's word. In fact, I'm seeing this kind of thing throughout God's word. Not only am I listening to the spirit, but I can back it up with the scripture. Like this is right, okay? And finally, even after the work seems to be complete, don't let your guard down. After you get it going, things are in their steady routine. You got that first buildup portion done. Don't let your guard down. Continue on in proper order, doing the right thing. Worship, praise, and move on to the next step. You know, thank God for getting you through that portion. Praise God for it. Move on to the next step. Keep going and keep doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Oh, God, thank you so much for this. This great reminder that there is a proper way to do things and that we need to follow your way and your order in life. And that we need to not pay attention to the enemy's distractions. And we need to not worry about their messages that they're sending to us, telling us that this is bad. This is bad. You shouldn't be doing this. Why are you going this direction? God, help us to have the strength and the courage to continue to have our eyes completely on you to make it through the calling that you have on us and for us. Now give us the strength to do what it is that you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, it is uh, that time. This was a great one. I hope you guys enjoyed, learn from this, and grow with this. Uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Uh, yes, it is Halloween, so, you know, have, have a little bit of fun, I suppose. And, uh, but, you know, have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Be with your loved ones. 